So it makes no sense to go and draw something uh, if you don't want to draw it when you're not even going to make a lot of money doing it anyways. It makes it just logically draw the thing that you're going to be passionate about what you want to do. Hey, thanks for listening. Last week was a bit of a challenge between client work and writing. Not complaining about having client work because I do like to eat, but it's really tough when to choose into the thing that you want to do. And anybody who makes something of their own knows this probably more than I do. It's just one of those weeks where you would have a great day of writing the next day, just be stuck on phone calls and answering emails and doing the worky work to make emails and the phone calls stop. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, the projects are great and I, I can't wait to share some images when I can do that. And then today I got a confirmation that a project I worked on a few months ago is, I guess, almost greenlit, which is really cool. But it's going to run the same time as this big one that's chewing up many hours for me. So it's one of those things where you just have to go, how do I, how do I find a bit more equilibrium? Um, one of the things that is a great provider of that mental space is, is exercise, which is something I should do more of, but I've been training to go out to Colorado for some hiking in the last few weeks. Uh, last time I went out there, I had a bit of an physiological altitude issue and that really was a little scary and it's a little nerve wracking knowing I'm going out there and worrying that that's going to happen again. I trying, trying not to worry, but so I've been, you know, hiking, walking, running, doing everything I can to kind of get in as good of shape as I can to hopefully not have a problem. But that benefit effect of getting a little more headspace to think uh, is, is great. And last week, my wife sort of asked like, Hey, you, so what's going on about getting an agent? I'm like, Oh, you know, work, work. That's all I kept saying. And she's like, I get it. But I told her like, I'm hoping that being out and on vacation will give me that little bit of mental breathing room to look at my life and maybe write down the steps in order I need to take to get uh, the agent hunt further than I have at this moment, because I got to, there's no easy, no perfect thing. Um, so I just have to kind of grind it out and figure it out as I go along. This week's guest is Mike Mayhack, and Mike is a killer cartoonist, comic book creator, writer. He's doing some very, very fun stuff. His work is a complete byproduct of his personality. He is just enthusiastic. And his work is this wonderful synthesis of his loves and his personality. He's the kind of person you want to have in your life. More people like him, more mics. We want more mics. He's just great. And I'm really fortunate to get the time to talk with him. So um, this is my talk with Mike Mayak. I like how you confessed your teenage love for Kitty Pride today. I wouldn't even know if it's still, it's just teenage. It's just like a general, mm -hmm. I've always been my favorite. Like, it's funny. I grew up for DC. I always liked background Supergirl. Right. And then, um, and then for, but I was a big X-Men fan. And then Kitty Pryor was my favorite 
X-Men. <laughs> so I don't know where, where all that came from, but they, uh, I just like that she was the one that would always sort of speak her mind and yeah, she had a cool power. I always thought she'd be like a great spy. Like she, Oh yeah. Well, and stuff because she could like disrupt electronics and she was a good hacker and she mm-hmm. could just face through anything and i thought that and plus her name was like shadow cat so it just sort of sounded like a very stealthy ninja type oh, thing yeah. so i always thought it'd be fun to write a comic like that where like a little mini series where she got yeah. listed to help out you know doing some spy thing um but make it like in russia so then you have the whole colossus tie-in and mm-hmm. it's like this whole thing and I think just because of me coming up with this story in my head, um, she became more of a favorite character because then I had a, a reason to want to do something with her. Yeah. Which is usually the case for me. <laughs> it's it's funny. One of the great sort of side effects of having these conversations is reconnecting with these sort of points in my life. I'm like, oh yeah, I did that too. So like thinking about that, I'm like, oh yeah, like characters like Longshot, like I had all these stories in my mind after the series came out because I'm like, oh, I dig this character. There's so many cool things. And I think that's what always kind of drove me. I think is like if I could put my feet in their shoes and kind of like come up with ideas for them beyond what was on the page, right? they were magic. Yeah. Exactly. I was I was also thinking this morning about I guess I don't know it was this morning, but after you had made your post and I was thinking about um Kitty Pride. And I was like, oh, you know what was really I would love to ask Chris Claremont if it was his intention for her to have no identity because she was a teenager and she was always trying on like I'm Ariel, I'm Shadow Cat. Like <laughs> she never mean? had a great name. <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like, wait, you, like nothing stuck. Like, are you like, wh- who are you? And is, is that the teenager? Like just saying, Hey, I, I, I've got a perm this week or I got, I have, here's my new clothing, you know, like whatever the outfit was. And I'm like, Oh, maybe that's what Chris's intention was. I don't know. I don't know if it was just fan support. Wasn't there. I mean, I loved shadow cat. That was the coolest name. Yeah. I think I like, that's one of the things I sort of liked about it though, is that she was sort of, I think as teenagers and as kids, we're always sort of adopting new identities based on who we're hanging out with and mm-hmm. trying to figure out who we are, who we're going to be. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that we really identify with that. I don't know if that was intentional on his part. Uh, I like to think it was because I think that's really um, great. Sure. She's still that character. She's still trying, even today, you know, she's trying to figure out who she is. And now she's going by Kate and um, mm-hmm. I'm always behind on what's going on currently, but yeah, I know she became like a captain and she was a pirate and all this stuff. And, <laughs> um, and she's just still trying to figure out, she was even, I think she was like star Lord for a while. She took over for him. Like, I think you're space. right. Yeah. So she, I, she's one of those characters that is, could be used in any situation, but then she always brings sort of her, her kind of, I don't know, spunky attitude towards it all. And which, yeah. Is it some sort of fresh feeling? And yeah, I don't know. I, maybe that's why I've always liked her too. It's just because of that. Because she, you could, you could kind of switch her out depending on what situation would be fun to put her in. No, totally. I, I, mean, yeah. I think she's, she is kind of this cool. I mean, I mean, I guess in some ways she's kind of a cipher for the reader, especially when she was a teenage character that the fan base could kind of identify, in, you know, and, and kind of experience being an X Men through her. <laughs> yeah. We all want to be, we all want to be mutants. There are all, all, everyone, all the mutants in the book are, 
you know, oh man, it's, it's terrible being a mutant because like everybody hates us and stuff. Meanwhile, well, like I wish I was a mutant. I wish sure. I went to Xavier's school, you know. And, uh, yeah, I totally wanted to go to. Oh Xavier. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was. I, I mean, I'm, I remember <laughs> being like 14, going like, I wonder what would it be like, like maybe I am like things are changing. I just don't like maybe. And like, you would just be hypersensitive to like wondering if you had this kind of thing happening to you, even though you deep down, you knew there was no way for that to be a thing, but, um, God, it was so cool. I would, I, you know, and it's funny, I read the X-Men, you know, I think from 1978, 79, all the way to like 1990 ish straight through. And, I I I read the the teen uh, was it the uh, the New Mutants as well, but I don't remember a whole lot of rivalry between Kitty and the New Mutants. Like they're like you know I didn't I didn't get a whole lot of like them being angry that they're not an A team. You know. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. I, I can't. She yeah. That's yeah, she probably just didn't care. <laughs> so what was your on ramp like like with creating things? Because like for me. There was a there was a, some certain early hooks with comic books. I mean, I loved the Super Friends. Like that was the cartoon to wake up and and watch on Saturday morning. But that might have been the easy to delivery vehicle. But I remember getting my first three comic books. I still have them. Like they were oh, just wow. they were pretty heavy. Like impact, even though they weren't great. Um, but like that was the thing because cartoons, like I said, were as only as good as like. Space Ghost and the Super Friends. Like after that, it, got, it, it, it wasn't, you know, I mean, Bugs Bunny's awesome, but I, I had no ever like thinking I would do that because somebody did that in the 50s. Like I didn't, it didn't have any sort of daily relevance. Um, what was your on-ramp to making oh, stuff? That's funny. Well, it's funny you mentioned Bugs Bunny because like um, Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies and stuff was mm-hmm. really probably my, one of my bigger influences. Uh, I was, all the Chuck Jones, um, uh, uh, shorts are just still to this day, like just yeah, probably brilliant. the most inspirational things in They're terms brilliant. of how I approach uh, timing and comedy and expressions and all that stuff. And um, but you know, I, I think I was lucky. I, I, I feel like I'm on my trip. My I was born in the right time where my trajectory is taking me on a, on a good creative path. Where I um, I was born like um, 1979, so my childhood was all through the 80s, and mm-hmm. so I just to watch 80s cartoons and you know grow up on 80s cartoons and comics and things like that uh which to me was like the golden age of of saturday morning cartoons so we had all the um and even into the 90s right i never really stopped watching them but right you know i, I grew up watching transformers and, and um you know and he-man and gian joe and um even like rainbow bright and <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> Uh, like anything that was uh, animated, I was like pretty much into more than sort of the only live action stuff I really got into too much was like I, I was really into Star Trek. Uh, my dad was a big Star Trek fan, so I, oh, I, cool. I watched a lot of that. Um, like he got me into the original series and the Next mm-hmm. Generation premiered somewhere in there in the eighties. There, I can't remember exactly when. Eighty seven. It was eighty seven. Okay, yeah. and I remember watching there, watching the you know the he was so excited about it and watching the 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 very first episode and I was just hooked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is like, like what we were watching before, but like way better. <laughs> so I thought, uh, when I was like, I guess about eight years old and I was like, Oh my gosh, these, this, the ship looks so much cooler and there's yeah. you know carpet on the ground. I don't know. But, um, 
<laughs> I, uh, so I, all of those things, I think, sort of inspired me to just, you know, want to kind of do things that were outside of what you, I would normally see every day. You know, I would yeah. like, I love these sort of like imaginary sort of dreamscapes and um, it's different worlds and different styles. And so I just wanted to create them on my own. And so I would start just drawing and creating my own characters and creating my own worlds based on all of these things that I was reading and watching. And um, it just hasn't really stopped. I'm still kind of drawing and <laughs> creating from all the things that sort of inspire me like day in and day out. It, it, it is funny how compulsive the behavior, you know, can be. There's this overwhelming urge to kind of make your own marks um do you so i mean you said you were making your own stuff did you because like for me a lot of it had to do with taking the things that i loved and kind of modifying them for my for my own interest um yeah. Yeah. and then it's a question of like how that tied in because it was a, it was an interesting time because like i grew up i was born a bit a bit earlier than you and you know, I, my golden era of comics was like 70, 79 through like 83, 84, like when like just what I felt was like all this amazing stuff was happening, you know, Daredevil and Moon Knight and et cetera and so forth. And, uh, you know, but so I was so like tied into that stuff and I was a little older, you know, when the G.I. Joe cartoons and the, you know, Transformers came out. And so I, like, I didn't get the turtles, like none of that stuff hooked me because I was a little bit older. So I think I was tied more into the mainstream superhero world. And I wanted to like be a part of that obsessively. And I had my little side stories, you know, I'm like, well, these characters are here. And maybe I thought that they were, would one day be in the X-Men, you know, that kind of thinking yeah. process. Um, and, you know, and I've, just, I remember seeing my friends who had that indie comic vibe, you know, they were like, here's my thing. and I'm doing my thing. I'm like, Oh man, that's so cool. But I was so focused on going, you know, to play with, you know, the toys at Marvel or DC, like my, my mind couldn't get out of that my own way. Um, were you like, like sit there and go like, this is my story and I can't wait to tell this story. You know, and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I was a little bit of the opposite. Um, I did have like this, um, my friends and I, we, I never really played Dungeons and Dragons, uh, D&D or anything, but I played mm -hmm. um, this uh, Marvel adventure role-playing game. Oh, for sure, I remember that yeah. game. And, but we never really played it. We would just uh, <laughs> roll the dice to, to create our characters. Mm -hmm. And we just loved creating characters. And so we maybe sometimes do a little bit of a campaign, but for the most part, we were just, creating characters and I love to just draw those characters after the you know the, the die had told me what what it was going to be and what their powers were and all that uh -huh. stuff and but other than that when it came to telling my own stories I was much more just wanting to I think with the superhero like a lot of the superhero comics and I most of the last stuff I was reading was like in the 90s and stuff so I had a very extreme <laughs> extreme style to it <laughs> um, and I almost felt like if I was going to do and even when I drew superhero stuff I had a very I think Liefeld or Jim Lee quality into them because that's what I was uh, a lot of the books I was reading at the time were that but I realized it wasn't a style I really gravitated towards naturally and wanting to draw like that. And I felt like if I was going to do superheroes, 
um, that was the way it was going to have to be. Um, I couldn't really do, I was really a lot, I was a lot into like newspaper, newspaper funnies like Calvin Hobbes and Outland and, um, and, and Farside and that type of thing. And I like to draw in that sort of style, sort of more of a comic book style. So, um, as much as I loved reading superhero books, I didn't really want to draw my own superhero books. I wanted to do something else. Um, I was also a big, like I said, science fiction fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big into Lord of the Rings. I was really into fantasy and stuff like that. Um, so it wasn't until uh, Bone came along where I, I picked up like the fir- there was like this really early collection of the first six books that I found out comic books for, and um, it just that changed my world because then wow. I was realized I, I, it was sort of that that comic strip quality. But more long for like what what they were doing with like the longer form storytelling and sequential mm-hmm. arts of the you know the superhero stuff uh, with this big giant sort of Lord of the Rings sort of epic kind of thing, but still with humor um, and a, and a lot of um, really uh, excellent pacing, which I I, I would yeah. even at an early age I always responded to. I remember reading Dune's Dunesbury comics and not really understanding exactly what the, the payoff or the joke was. Yes, but no. I understood that's how the humor worked. Uh, and I would laugh at it just based on, you know, how the characters were sort of sure. acting. And Bone did that so well. And uh, so after that, then I just went on this really kind of passionate sort of, sort of path of wanting to make my own stories and create my own characters and tell mm-hmm. uh, stories that weren't necessarily uh, superhero stories, but were, were probably very much influenced still by those sort of uh, qualities that superheroes serve a body. Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess the, a lot of that black and white morality play that superhero convention sort of lives under it, it, it can be, it can be applied in other aspects. You can have oh, that, yeah. sort of that high drama aspect that goes yeah. on there. Star Wars is all about that. Yeah. That, no, no, that's no. why Star Wars was, as popular as it is, is because yeah. it was at a time where there was so much coming out that was just great, 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 great. And then Star Wars comes like, oh no, these guys, these are the bad guys, these are the good guys, and then boom, you know, here you go. And it's I think we we long for that, you know, we long to know this is this is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. I and mean, you start sort of meshing that it, it gets really stressful. Um and and, then, and you know enough of that, I think folks will start to, you'll feel that, you know, and that's where a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, psychological things kind of start happening. And so I think we like, I think that's why superheroes have stayed around for so long because they do, they have that very um, sort of black and white morality towards them. And we, we want that. And then yeah. deep down, everybody, that's what everybody, everybody wants to be, you know, good and a hero and stuff. And, but when we start bringing that out, it makes life so complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I think, you know, it's interesting because you were saying the, you know, why people like Star Wars and you think about, you know, cinema in the 70s, it was very much a realism world and it was very grim. There was a lot of, you know, under, you know, desaturated sense of sensibility and, you know, not not, everything was kind of on a minor key in many ways. And I think when something like Star Wars comes out, it really kind of redefines what could be, people could see. And, and like, like uh, Jaws, you know, that came out a year oh, before yeah. Yeah. and very much a technicolor, high stakes, high energy, high focus type of film. 
And I think those things really kind of re rejiggered everyone, you know, at a point where they're like, Hey, this is great. Like, because it's a relief valve from, <laughs> you know, this, this For sure. rigor, this post Vietnam era, this post Nixonian era. I mean, there's a whole lot of like yeah. you know, rhythms and you can see that kind of come into play. And then you move into the eighties when things started getting a little brighter and a little like funner. And then, you know, Frank Miller's like, well, fuck that. I'm going to make Batman the grimmest, darkest, hor most horrible thing ever. And, you know, enjoy, you know, and then, you yeah. know, Alan Moore, Alan Moore. So I think these cycles kind of like the, the social cycle sort of directs how the consumer appeal comes into play. So like, you know, I don't know what we're in. I mean, we're, I guess, I mean, maybe we're in a grim period. So maybe some bright, fun, exciting things are, are necessary. And if, and maybe that's the Marvel films, you know, maybe the Marvel films are the oh, yeah. panacea for this, you know, you know, I guess post-war on terror kind of life we were in and et cetera and so forth. So, yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. The MCU is definitely, at least at the, at the start, um, mm -hmm. is, is definitely this generation Star Wars for, for, without a doubt. It, um, huh. it's the same, uh, it's the it's the same sort of mentality of like these are the good guys these are the bad guys um and they still i think the difference is is because it comes from the marvel world where um there needs to be some sort of relatability to everybody including the villains um you there's always that what you, you want it there's always that that draw towards wanting to understand why the villain's doing the thing that they're doing yeah like, Doing this this terrible thing um and i think that'd be the biggest difference you know because in star wars i mean the empire is just bad yeah you know there's just there's no there's no good thing that the emperor is doing no. you know at all you know if he and if there is something you question it because there's like no sure. way you know uh rather with like um with like Thanos, it's like, well, you know, I could see where he's coming from, even totally. if I don't agree with this or his methods. Um, and so we try to put that into it. And I think that's very, you know, relevant to the culture today. It's where, mm -hmm. you know, we want to try to, you know, figure out everything, understand where everybody's coming from. At least I like to think that we're all trying to understand where everybody's coming from. I don't know if everybody really... <laughs> I no, think more. Like, I think more of us are, more yeah. are than aren't. That's I yeah. think that's the nature of it. I, yeah. yeah, and it's you know it's it is true because we you know we're fascinated by crime and we can go back into the seventies and we can look clearly at The Godfather. You know, like that film, like in our obsession with you know the gangster, you know, and crime culture as a as a as a you know a consumer nation is because we we want to go like, what is it in an individual when they wake up in the morning and say, time to do crime? Like, why is that this, the selection choice? And it, because it's not so much the emperor going, you know, absolute power. It is somebody saying, hey, like, I've been backed into this corner and the only solution is X. And I need to, yeah. I need to do this because I have to, save my family because if i do why which is the the good thing the steamrollers are just going to roll over our town and that's it we're done so yeah. i i think i you know i get that and i think we're we are also probably more fascinated by the bad guy and it makes writing heroes so much more of an interesting aspect because you go well how do you make a hero compelling beyond just doing the right thing mm -hmm. you know yeah
Yeah, there's always got to be some sort of, uh, I don't know. You, you, yeah, they can't, they, there has to be a reason why they're doing the right thing, you know, like something, right. from their, yeah, it's always something from their past or something. I think that's why, I think why, why sometimes people find it hard to write or do things with like Superman or Captain America who come mm-hmm. from or almost like the sort of, Mental, where they, they're every decision they do is just the, the perfect ethical, correct solution, you know. To, right. to and I don't think it's that, um, honestly, I think that's what makes the sto- their stories so interesting mm-hmm. is because nobody else does that, <laughs> you know. We, yeah. you know, it just every there's always something that, that we do wrong, and then and when so when they do something that feels outside of that. Um, there's a story there, you know, so, and it doesn't have to be extreme. You don't have to turn Superman evil and stuff like that, but just making little quick mistakes and stuff. And totally. And uh, Captain America, like if Captain America, I think the other thing is, is that let's, let's keep them on the good track. Let's keep Captain America doing the right thing all the time. Yeah. What, what, but there's a trade off to that. Like that doesn't make life easier. It makes life harder, you know? And I think that that's a kind of the magic where you can kind of dive into these characters. And, you know, sure, we all love Wolverine because he can kind of do what he wants because that's what he does. And that's cool. But it's like there's little sacrifice in action because you aren't because you aren't holding something above something else, you know, you know, and when you you have to dig deeper into a character like Wolverine to find the thing that he is you know, sort of sacrificing. He just doesn't maybe show that card Why like Captain America is running around with that card strapped to his forearm, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not everybody, not everybody wants what might be the right thing, you know? Yeah. So somebody that sort of goes against the grain, even if, even if it is the right thing, um, is going to be persecuted for that. And some, you know, whether it's in small or big ways. And that's, I think those are, those are what make heroes heroes is because mm-hmm. they're, they are, they're going to do, even if it's, even if it's sacrifice, you know, sacrificial to what is going to benefit them, they're still going to go and they're going to do what needs to get done. What needs yeah. to be the right thing to do. Um, even if, you know, it means they're going to be attacked for it. And, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't aspire to be like that? You know? Right, totally. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I grapple with that, you know, in my writing all the time because I'm like, I have to like, I have to keep my protagonist on this course. And, she, and, and her job is to keep her group on that same course. And what, what, you know, what does it take for someone to stay as motivated and focused on these sort of compounding problems, you know, that, that crop up even as a result of their own good, true deeds, whatever, whatever they may be, and then getting to write the bad guys of the story and how the, they, how their interactions are in their mind, the true and absolutely right thing to do to make the, make the world a better place and how these conflicts, you know, kind of really have to lock in, in opposition to each other. It's, it's a real, it's a great challenge. And, um, but it's, it's funny. I think for me, I find it harder to write the protagonist in that respect to not be as 
cookie cutter. Like the bad guys are way easier. You know, you're like, okay, well, this happened. So we, we hate that. And we're going to do everything we can to stop that to keep happening to us. And who cares get, who gets hurt in the process? You know, and you're like, okay, I can buy that. You know, like if I've been kicked long enough, I'm going to kick back. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting challenge. Um, so looking at your work, which is totally, totally cool. The, you know, I pick up all these different vibes when I look at the work. Hey, I pick up on that. I guess that really early, um, Batman, the animated series, like, oh, you know, yeah. like how like Bruce and, and the crew, you know, like, especially when they drew like Robin and, and Batgirl, like I see so much of that vi- vibe in there, um, picking up a lot of the, um, um, studio Ghibli, you know, like that, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, like I can see oh. some of that really the sort of like that very like designed, like head shape and like you know sort of like expressional shape like all those kind of cool things and i love the hybrid of that like but it's it doesn't feel like either one of those things like i don't look at and go like because you know there's a lot of people who are like of the school of tim you know and they they have this very sort of tim-esque you know look to the work which is great you know but then you and then you see people who look like that they are trying out for Ghibli, you know, on their on their work. And that's cool, too. But it's like very cool how you've, you know, sort of infused all these elements, but kind of recontextualize them for, through your hand and eye. So are there other ones that like you would sort of pull from your, you know, pantheon? Oh man, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm always I'm always being sort of inspired by by new things. Um, it's just it's like I'm just you know keep pulling from other you know um, artists and you know and art and and, and and shows and movies and just putting them into my reservoir of 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 how I go approach, uh, my art and, and, but still trying to keep it, you know, something, um, that I'm enjoying doing. There's sometimes where I, I'm so influenced by something. I try to draw something that's a little outside of my wheelhouse and, and I just, my style just sort of sneaks its way in there sure. anyway, without, yeah. without any sort of even trying to force it out and still kind of find its way in. Um, it's really cool that you recognize the, the animated series and the Ghibli stuff. Cause that's huge. I mean, um, those are two of my favorite things. Uh, oh, cool. thing I've seen every single uh, Batman. In fact, the only Batman comic I ever really bought um, was the animated adventures series mm-hmm. like, based on the, oh, on the yeah. I had the full, like all of them. Um, so I had like the, the entire set uh, just, you know, just in poly bags in the garage. Dude, in fact, my- I had to go and pull out the, the first appearance of Harley Quinn. So I was like, Oh, that, I should probably shouldn't have that just sitting in the just sitting in the, in the garage. garage. Yeah. So I finally I finally got that. But uh, yeah, you know, it's I love um, I love animated stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. I love I, I I'm a big fan of like the early uh, Disney uh, cartoons, like the the Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson stuff that did like um, like the early Robin Hood and Sword and Stone. Um, no. that kind of really expressive um, acting that they would do yeah. in that, that I, I, I really enjoyed uh, seeing that 
Um, you know, I grew up through the '90s, so a lot of that, you know, those artists kind of found their way into my. Glenn my Keen. Yeah. Because uh, Glenn Keen was kind of like the yeah, animator Glenn of the of the, ni- of the '80s, you know. The like reason he- I think Tangle looks as amazing as it does is because uh, and still holds up as a great uh, CGI anime film is because of his influence on it and stuff. Oh. So yeah, even yeah, the Mer- Mer- Little Mermaid. Um, it's like those are even stuff like that, that I don't even recognize would be an influence or totally an influence because sure, that, sure. they've been just embed, you know embedded into my my head. But even just now, I this uh, this weekend I finished up reading um, the new speaking of Keen because you reminded me of Keen, but uh, mm-hmm. um, the Human Target series that came out. Dude, that, I, I saw your post for that. Uh, and, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, yeah, right there it is. Yeah, they're right here. And I, I mean, I didn't just read those books. I was just studying those books. Every single panel, it's just like, how did he approach this, just this, this color here and this angle and this hand? And then the way that the, you know, the the characters would sort of move, um, that's going to find itself, you know, because I was mm-hmm. studying so much. It's not going to look like small. It, there's no way it's going to look like, no, like that. It's not going to be that sure. good. But like, but, but a lot of the, a lot of the things that I, that I saw that I really, I uh-huh. um, kind of uh, really uh, find myself pulled to, I, I think is going to find itself into my art from, you mm-hmm. know, for a little while, because I'm so, it's just, I'm so influenced by it right now. And maybe it's those so, styles or whatever, who knows what's going to be. I haven't even, well, uh, that, I think that's really a cool thing since I finished it, but yeah. uh, it's, it, it's, there's just a lot, you know, and yeah. even Jack Kirby, I think is a huge, mm-hmm. a, a, a giant influence. I'm working on a, uh, actually I probably can't say exactly who's in it. I just, just told <laughs> I'm not, but it is another Spire. I can't say it's another Spider-Man book. Okay. Um, sure. And it uh, it takes place in space, and um, so I'm drawing upon. I'm just I have this is this is not Jack Kirby, but I have this in front of me. Okay, um, sure, yeah. And I'm so I'm just looking at all this old Perez art and the way that um, he would approach the like the cosmos and the way yeah. that you know all these sort of little styles, and then which gets me gets me going looking on the. Um, the way Jack Kirby would approach things and how similar they were. And you can see how much Kirby's influence was on Perez mm-hmm. and, you know, and then this and this and this and this. And I think that's how we, we look at, oh, you have this, like you have Bruce Tim influence, but like really it's kind of a Darwin Cook influence because yep. he's influenced by that. And it's just compounding influences. Yeah. Uh, and so enough of that and being, I kind of love all things. There's not really anything. It's hard for me not to like something. I always come away with something that I like. And so all that just kind of falls into really just trying to make my art appealing um, and something that conveys the information um, in a way that's really kind of easy for people to to kind of see right away. I guess that's mm-hmm. what, I, that's what kind of, I kind of go for. That's cool. Yeah. I, th- I mean, Perez's work on Infinity Gauntlet is amazing. And the oh, idea okay. and the idea of like what you said there is so kind of interesting because like I don't think people would naturally look at his work and go Kirby. But the point being is I would find it impossible for George Perez to not have been influenced by Jack Kirby. Right. Because just because of timing, like I think I think man, I think about the tree of influence in comic books so much like 
who like where do these lines come and who was like the the, the progenerate progenitor progenitor of these things so you would think like toth well toth influenced this person oh, who influenced yeah. this person yeah. who influenced and you can see how that tree just kind of grows out and you can see how with the kirby thing and then you look at it now like it's really fascinating that toth's influence is far more visible in current day comic book creation than jack kirby's on a visual aspect because people stop emulating kirby's look at any degree, except for maybe that cool squiggle to show a reflection, it, it, it all kind of dissipated and Kirby crackles. Never lose the Kirby crackles. Yeah, the crackles, yeah. But like his greatest influence, longstanding, is Bruce Timm's influence on everybody else. Yeah. Who look, his, his, I mean, I, if I had a name, I don't, I mean, I've never talked to Bruce Timm, but if I ask who his biggest influence was, it was Jack Kirby. It if you look at that. Be. Just be put side by side. You're yeah. like, oh yeah, totally. I remember uh, when with Bone, I was uh, I, I used to work at, as a telemarketer in in Ohio uh, for when I was in college, and uh, I, there's a lot of just sitting on the phone and like kind of I would draw and read as I was just like dialing numbers and oh. people are answering. And so at one point, I brought in, um, I had all the floppies of Bone, and I would bring them all in. And um, I got the entire office sort of reading Bone comics. And there was somebody, <laughs> somehow I reached like the back, uh, what, what, what wasn't even one of the people that called people, somebody else that worked in the building. And uh, he goes, what is this? You know, what, you know so, so one of the issues had gotten back to, the, to him. And, and he's like, this is this is Pogo. <laughs> this, is just, right. this is just like Pogo. You know? and, and I was like, what's Pogo? Oh, I, didn't, no. I didn't know what Pogo awesome. was. Yeah. Oh, no. So to me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be influenced by, you know, Jeff Smith's artwork and his styles and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Meanwhile, somebody that knows Pogo is going to say, oh, that's Pogo. We're, we're, yeah. we're clearly after looking at it, I was like, oh, you're so influenced by this, obviously. But I didn't know what that is. And so you talk about that tree of influence. We don't even know how far sometimes we're going right. down the roots because we're just not even maybe familiar with those those early influences are to the artists that we that really inspire us. For sure. Uh, I I'm sure there's tons of people that look at Bruce Tim and just think of, that's where it started. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> I always see Jack Kirby's art. Every time I look at a Bruce Tim drawing, I'm like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. It's a very, very stylized, very softer, uh, more sort of organic kind of look. Dude, we, uh, it, a long, long time ago, I was in San, in San Diego and me and my buddy linked up with those guys, with Bruce, um, Ronnie Del Carmen, Glenn Murakami, oh, yeah, and... Yeah. And we ended up. Hey man, let's sit. That sits right there too. Oh yeah, dude. It's so, <laughs> right it's on so my good. desk. It's so yeah. good. And we ended up um, stealing all the notepads in the hotel and running up to somebody's room. I have no idea whose room it was. And we sat there and we would just. This is what they would do, I guess, on their hangouts, you know. And they would just you name a character and then you get like a minute to draw it. And then everyone throws the drawing onto the onto the bed, and oh, then you, you get to grab which one you think is cool, you, you know. And um, but I mean, sitting there, with every single one that Bruce put out was just, you know, brilliant after brilliant, and we're just like, good God. Yeah, he knew exactly just the right line and the right spot just to to 
exactly you know showing just what you need to convey mm-hmm. the information um and that, that's what's so impressive when i look at artists these days that's where i'm always cause i always feel like i get too lost in the details sometimes um and i always want to you know kind of fall back a little bit and just try right. to keep expressiveness of the characters um uh, i think of artists that do that today very very well uh chris schweizer comes to mind he's he's a, i think he's a master at it um uh, Chris Tomney does an incredible job. Uh, yeah. His use of shadows is impeccable, um, and just where he can he can put that in. And so I, that it's it might not be something where I want to be like that style, but I look at how they're approaching things, and I mm-hmm. try to look in trying to approach my work, even if it's different, sort of the same sort of ideas and stuff. Um, like, does is it so important that that uh, say like a um, you know, like a, a finger has all three little nooks and crannies to it and stuff. Or, right. does, it, or does it, does it, do I need that? Or would it, would they, would it look better? Would it not look better, but more like, would the information be conveyed more clearly, you mm-hmm. know, if I made that a little bit more expressive. And so I'm trying, always trying to loosen up and, and try to, I'm always trying to improve. I always just want to try to, well, I get the, staying in one, doing the same thing over same and over. Same lane, yeah. yeah. It, it's, I, it's, I just want to try to do new stuff, yeah. And I think, that, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the perspective of being the 20-something-year-old artist and not the 20-something-year-old 20, 20 artist, you know, you think about the... I think, you know, when an artist stops trying to chase something that is just out of reach is when that stagnation happens when you can see it in the art you go oh it's not the it's not what it used to be you know you as the viewer of the art and it's always a little heartbreaking because you have so much emotional um you know connection to what they produced previously so when you see it you're like you know you you give them the benefit of the doubt for many 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 projects um but then it's eventually you're like oh come on like I just want to see the next thing that it's going to make me go, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's hard for I, mm-hmm. I, for artists because we know that, you know, <laughs> I yeah. mean, we know that um, our, our, you know, our readership or our fan base or whatever is always looking for like, what's going to be the thing you, you never know. I, I never know what's going to what hit with, with people. There's some of my favorite drawings i feel personally that i've ever done have never you know just won't land you right. know and you know, i'm going oh man this is i love this one but you know who knows what people are going to respond to so i think as artists too we're always sort of i you know we're always trying to improve on that level too like <laughs> try mm-hmm. to try to outdo ourselves outdo what we've done before um i don't think you can ever enjoy your own work to an, to a level that other people do, and you know nobody's gonna see. You're not gonna be able to see what other people see, and you can't, uh, yeah, you can't yeah. experience it on a on a level of looking at it and going like, oh, that's so cool. You can look at it and go, well, I guess the figure the figure's good. The the yeah. gesture's yeah, nice, right? Or yeah, right? and you're like, oh, but like ah, oh, but like that foot doesn't feel like it's landing yeah. in the right. Yeah, like you 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 start to yeah. like picking picking out all yeah. this. You start really, yeah, nitpicking it, and it's it's yeah. tough. Um, it's yeah, and I think that's where it kind of the struggle lies. Is you you sort of have to um, again just see you, you can't 
you can't get so bogged down on the details that you sort of lose a drawing soul, you know? Right. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I, I, I was talking to a friend years ago. I was like, to me, a drawing feels done when, when it kind of smells right. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I can kind of, like, there's something about the illustration. This is when I was doing a little bit more, um, less, I mean, less pinups and more illustration stuff. But, like, if I'm going to draw an ocean, I want to smell that ocean. You know, if mm-hmm. I'm going to draw the sky, I want to, there's some, there, there's that salt in the air or something like that. Yeah. Um, and even though you can't smell it, it's got to feel, it doesn't have to look correct it just mm-hmm. has to be correct and um and so that's how i was trying to convey that through that in some way that you would never be able to smell a drawing well, that, that, would be, it, that would be that would be yeah, fine. sure right <laughs> and, and who doesn't want that scratch and sniff on everything yeah it, it's a you, what you don't want is you don't want a production problem with scratch and sniff yeah like every yeah all the smells start combining together that was yeah. the only thing with scratch and sniff is like it would at first, it might smell like the thing, but then after a while, they all the smells just, and it just became a, like the scratch and sniff smell, like its own unique sort of flavor. Totally. <laughs> we, um, it's it's funny. It's funny because I think that because I mean, you have to chase. I, I think it comes down to what you, you you mentioned earlier, and this idea of that feeling thing, and I and I think it comes down to what we were saying, like with Tim, how he he created these shorthand methods and in, in, in mark creation that yeah. tells all the information that you need to know of value, which is very, you know, animator based, but Kirby did as well. Like they created this, this system of this is how this is it. This is what this is. You know, it didn't, it didn't matter specifically what the tech did it was Kirby tech and it, <laughs> like, it was impressive. Like, well, there's a lot of stuff in there. So this machine must be powerful. Yeah, and, yeah sure. This can go into different dimensions because it's got all the stuff on it. And, um, and I think that's like, as a, as an artist, the heart, like, because you were talking about detail, you know, and that was always like, for me was my, my Achilles heel as, as a, as an artist is that all I wanted to do was add more like detail, like how detailed can I make this, outfit can i make it like really seem and and not being like a realist but just being like accurate and proper with all like hey i need to make sure there's dimension on this belt you know because otherwise it's just a line it needs to have some weight around it and but that is sort of the is antithetical to the concept of the feel thing because the feel thing is it doesn't have to have that like it's just thinner line at the top thicker line at the bottom there's your belt and it's just you know it's like okay you've added weight you're telling the story and it feels like the thing and i think you know like darwin darwin elevated the that 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 style that timian's called timian style you know to a uh to that more realistic sensibility of feel in his work you're like oh yeah this is a gritty world you know it's like yeah. very cool yeah, it's so true. Just like going back to like Smallwood, Smallwood's work and the Human Target. Um, I mean, he he did these these really, I wouldn't say hyper realistic, but in terms of what we were used to, especially compared to Bruce Tim, more realistic drawings and and, and shading. But all his color is flat color. And, totally. Yeah, and so he's he's using his rendering in that line. Um, mm-hmm. where some people would sort of do the opposite. They would try to put those details, which I do, I do, you know, a little bit with, with my color and work and stuff. And so he would do all do, do those angled, you know, lighting 
Yep. So much I love. This just yeah. God, beautiful. And uh, um, so that's just another, you know, you look at it, you go, man, it's so detailed. So, you know, and, but, but that was another simplified approach to the way he was approaching the artwork. Just like you're saying with the belt, he didn't need to put all the little sort of um, gradients and um, shading for what the skin would be. It was just mm-hmm. a shade and then the, the, the line work and this, and this sort of low soft um, shading for that kind of did the work itself. Um, so everybody has a different way of going about that. I think everybody has their little shortcuts and their little, yeah. little things that, um, but I don't think, I don't think uh, viewers, readers, they always notice those things. And I think, especially with comics, if they're, <laughs> if they're doing a good enough job, they shouldn't notice those things because they're too invested in the story. Um, and so they're just, that's what needs to be seen. That's what needs to be told. Um, and I think it's even more these days where it's getting, the competition is getting more and more fierce with comics and you have to produce these comics more quickly um, and, and get them out. And especially just to make a paycheck, um, you have to find those ways, you know, and mm-hmm. you can't put all that detail in it um, if it's not needed because you would never get the book done. It would take forever. No. And everybody works at different speeds. Everybody is able to do different things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think finding those little shorthands is what makes each artist sort of unique. And I love finding those shorthands. I think that's, you know, it's, it's just so, it's so neat to, to see what the approach that a lot of artists do. Oh yeah. yeah. And so you said, I mean, you said like you met you know, this tying it, it, you know, into what you said earlier about this is that you are always trying to find a way to clarify or simplify the thing. Do you have like, do you have any sort of like ways that you go about doing that? Like one of the things I would do is I would take a piece of, you know, vellum or tracing paper and lay it over a drawing of mine. And I would try to edit it down, go like, okay, what do I need? And what do I don't need here? And <laughs> to try to try to sort of simplify the sort of the, the thought process. Like what was the thing that really works and doesn't need to work? And it, it you know, you know, not, not that I did that for everything, believe me. Um, but it was, a, it was a model to try to figure out how to kind of understand. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Um, and I, do, I, I think I do something similar. I mean, it's, a lot of the artwork I do is, is digital. Even the traditional work I do usually starts out, digital um i'll mm-hmm. do my pencils and rough that way because i can easier easier block out an idea i usually work with a very very scribbly rough sort of shape uh of what i want the image to be or if i'm looking at a character just kind of get a general idea of what it is but then i go over that and i just sort of simplify all these lines and and stuff mm-hmm. um as much as i can um you know same as putting like a, a piece of tracing paper over it. You know, it's just another layer uh, yeah. that went on top of it. In fact, I don't even, I don't even really pencil my work anymore. Um, that was one way I tried to, to get back to, um, I used to even working digital with Cleopatra in space. I would do sort of my rough layouts, which were, were pretty tight. My roughs were, were tight. And then I would do like sort of the pencils. And then I would just go in and, and do um, um, sort of the inks, even though it was still just, you know, digital. Um, and I would find that I would lose a lot of what was working in those initial roughs, um, just in terms of maybe an expression or a movement. It just would start becoming more and more rigid. And mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I, I just wasn't enjoying the process very much. I, I wasn't enjoying the artwork as much. Um, and so I, I 
recent, not, I wouldn't say feels recent, but like it's been probably about a good three or four years now. I've started to um, just do it with pencils completely. And I start with this very scratchy rough. And I just go in there and pretty much my inks are my pencils. Yeah. And that was one way I kind of went about sort of, um, sort of simplifying that work. You know, if things didn't really line up correctly, that's fine because it, I think it gives, I guess some depths and stuff to the, the drawing and get some, um, you know, a little bit more fun to it, a little bit more whimsy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, funny enough, I think that's where my work started to take off a little, even just the past three years where people started to respond to it a little bit more. Uh, and maybe it's because of that, because they they could yeah. see a little bit more of the joy that was coming out through it rather than just trying this, this rigorous, trying to get things right. Accuracy. Um, yeah. And that people respond to yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a, that's a really common thing. Like I would, you know, if I could say, um, you know, if I could pick one word to describe my, my comic book art would be overworked. I think I just overworked everything. Like I, you know, my, my underdrawing was, was more than, more than needed. My pencils were more than needed. I did, you know, and I would do full pencils before I inked things. If I had to ink stuff, I'm like, why was I doing that? Why was it making myself <laughs> work so hard? And I think by, taking that underdrawing as your foundation, like if you figure that part out and, and you can live with that, everything that's going to go on top of that is going to at least have the, be in the right neighborhood. Right. Yeah. 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 And so that's kind of, you know, how I go about things now. And I think it's a great, I mean, if anybody listening right now has never tried it, um, I think it's, if they feel like there are, it's just, losing something i would you know i would recommend always like you know sort of loosening up and, and that's a good yeah. way to without feeling like you have to have that 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 very first sort of um you know those marks on paper will be correct you know mm-hmm. just just get the feeling out get the idea out um uh, I don't even focus on anatomy uh that much i just kind of keep it in the back of my head i mostly want just have a feeling that I'm trying to convey with that character and, um, or even if it's a background or something. Yeah. And then I just, you know, really, then you just hope for the best <laughs> after that, you know, it doesn't always work. Uh, and yeah. then you're sitting there struggling like this. I really should have put, put a little bit more and more time into this underlying drawing. But, but that's, I, that's gotta be, I mean, that's, I mean, in, and that there is the reason why I didn't do it is I was afraid that I would end up messing things up, you know, like it yeah, was a control yeah. issue of like, yeah. it was like the idea of like, when you hear somebody, you know, someone you, you respect say, well, I use a brush cause I have more control and my, you know, and then the, the night, the novice mind goes, are you kidding? A felt tip pen has more control than a brush <laughs> because it doesn't get out of control. But you're right. missing the idea that the control is being able to change what that line is versus the infl- inflexible line. And I think that's the same thing about what with the artwork is that this fallacy of if I take the training wheels off, it's just I'm just going to crash. And right. yeah, you, you're going to crash, but eventually. You 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 get past that point of self destruction and move into that space of, you know, oh well, I got this, I can do this, and yeah. see that next, and, and be able to kind of like play chess with your own art, your own creation. I don't even mean it has to be artwork. We can we can talk about writing. We can talk about anything in this respect. Is that you can sort of see what the goal is before you have to put the commitment down somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Writing for sure is the same way you, you, I mean, I think 
you know, I think most writers rarely use anything that's in their first draft. You know, it's just trying to get yeah. the. There might be little bits and pieces, but you're just trying to get the idea that feeling structure. out. Yeah, the, it's the idea and the structure that you um, get. Maybe yeah, pacing, whatever. But you're just trying mm-hmm. to get the idea down, and then you kind of use that sort of again, like your underlying drawing, to just go yeah. back over that and just kind of start um, either dismantling it or building on top of it. You know, a little combination. I think of both those things. Um, and I think it's different. You know, with with digital art, I think it's a little different than with traditional art. Like, I'm sure what you, what you were talking about, like why did you know, having to take the training, which was a great, you know, great metaphor, taking the training rails off and stuff and not wanting to make sure, you know, make, make sure you're not going to mess it up. But with traditional art, you, you really you couldn't. Once the ink is down with the brush, you know, you're, you're done. But with digital, you can kind of delete a line or change Forever. it. Or, 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 and there's, um, I, that gives you a little bit more confidence because knowing that no matter yeah. what sort of thing you're going to put down on that screen or Cintiq or iPad or whatever, um, the fact that you can change it, uh, it's funny how often you don't because it's just having that confidence that you knowing it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is hard to bring that to, I think, a, a sort of that mental state of, no, this is permanent. This is it. Yeah. Um, no, that yeah. in that I mean, you're hitting the nail completely on the head in this respect. I mean, I'm you know, I mean, you're you're very politely telling me, saying I'm old in this conversation, but that's okay. No, 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 um, I, no, no, no. But like, but when it comes to that, like, because you know, my, you know, I guess I've been working direct directly into computer for the last twenty three ish years. And it's funny, every time I've had to go back and do something by hand, you know, that automatic, you know, command Z thing pops in your head and you're like, uh, don't get that option anymore. And, you know, but that's, but that fear of permanency, you know, in a traditional sense is, you know, it, it, it's a tough one to kind of overcome with sort of reckless creative abandon, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh. yeah. I can be kind of a perfectionist. Um, I, I, one of the things I've worked at over the past few years is trying to kind of do away with a lot of that perfectionism, mm-hmm. especially in my art. And uh, But one of the reasons I started working with watercolors is because they have such a mind of their own. Um, yeah. You really have to kind of let them do their own thing. So having to relinquish some of that control um, was almost freeing. And, yeah. And, uh, it, it was it's relaxing to me to sit there with watercolors uh even though i you know they, i'm easily mess them up all the time could mess them up do mess them up um but the fact that once it's down there that's it um is there's something i don't know there's something cathartic about that yeah <laughs> and you're not gonna sit there and, and you know sort of tinker and finesse and um you know sort of take those those wonderful little accidents away from mm-hmm. your work um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of pros and cons to both. I think that's why I, I like working as a mixture of both, you know, doing yeah. both traditional and digital and combining those two elements, because I don't think I like one really over the other. I just like a, a lot of aspects of each and, um, yeah, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been made my, it's made drawing a lot more fun for me for sure. <laughs> you know, and there, I honestly, there are very, there are a few things that look as cool as like comic artwork with watercoloring, like because I think, you know, here's what it is for me. And I just realized it's, it's, it's Bill Watterson. It's getting this <laughs> Bill Watterson. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's like, Oh, it's that thing. It's the black, it's that cool black line with that, 
watercoloring. You know, there's yeah, the magic. It, looks, it really looks sharp. I was, uh, I, I was a big, um, in college, I got really into David Matt stuff and the Kabuki yeah. and, and stuff. And I was really, I was, what I loved was his just sort of splashes of color that he would mm-hmm. put on the page. And um, I realized when I was trying to do something similar to how that did not, it looks great. <laughs> For him, yeah, yeah, um, sure. When I, when I try to try to do it with sort of my my style, it's ne- it was always something missing, wasn't working until I I just sort of fell into doing my own way of splashing colors, and um, that's I think that's you know that's what what's what watercolor is about. It's like it's not you can't you can't really mimic somebody else the way somebody does watercolor because. The way it comes to it's just water, you know, it's just gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna fill however, however much you put on your brush, however you hold a brush, yep. what kind of colors you're using, um, it's gonna be different for for everybody. And I think part of the fun is finding like, well, what what works for me? What 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 am I what am I good at? You know, right? And um, it's like, well, yeah, what I'm still like, trying to learn. I'm still trying well, to, yeah, because it's, I mean, like, I think because of like you're naming them, like the, the variables are the paper. The, the the volume of the water, the yeah. hardness of the water, the load that you put onto that onto that brush of whatever color it is, all those factors, the the air quality, all this <laughs> the stuff. Air quality. Yeah, the type it, of water. <laughs> right, it all comes into play without you involved. Like all that stuff actually matters, and yeah. so like the 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 watercolors is like a lot of the job is knowing when to stop. Like yes. that's like, you yeah. know, like, that oh, okay. Is, that's key. Yeah. That's, that's it right there. Um, yeah. because it's so easy to just kind of keep, Oh, uh, I don't know. Should I do this? <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, most of my time watercoloring is just staring at the thing going sure. and trying to envision if I, okay, if I take this little color and I do this with it, is it going to make it better? Is it going to make it worse? And right. sometimes it does make it worse. You're like, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, right. Oh know, no, it's olive drab. Yeah. yeah. Or you're impatient. You don't want the water to dry when you should let the water dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, but that's, again, I think that's what makes it fun. It's art totally. should be experimental in a lot of ways, you know, it should be trying new things and seeing what works and failing, 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 you know, uh, totally. Yeah, you're never gonna figure out what how they grow, how what's gonna you know how how things are gonna work, and so yeah, so I yeah, I'll still I'll probably always be working in watercolors, even if uh, even if they do, they do take me a lot longer to sit there. They're, hum- they're humbling. They're, yeah. It's the most humbling <laughs> it's, it, of all the mediums. Watercoloring is the most humbling. Yeah, you know, even if you do a good one the next one could just blow up on you right. and it, yeah. it, it's, it's great. And, you know, I mean, it, it listen, and, and I think that's the best advice in the world is be, you know, it's okay. Like fail, just oh, go yeah. out, d- yeah. just do it because, and, he, and the thing is, is that like, because we live in a sort of a culture of, you know, looking cool and being perfect or whatever, because that's what we're trying to put out there in this little, you know, social world of ours. and. But the thing about to be to do great art is that you have to also embrace that failure. And like you said, with the writing, you can't write anything until you write something bad and then you can fix it. <laughs> and, you know, like the underdrawing is where you get a chance to be bad, like make okay. the mistakes, figure those things out and then go at go at it. And if it listen, get a new piece of paper, try it again. Right. 
Yeah. The important thing is just creating a thing, you know, whether it's good, whether it's bad, the fact that you sat there and you made something, that's, that's the important stuff. I think starting is usually the hardest thing for a lot of folks is because we want, again, like you, like you said, we want things to be perfect right off the bat. We want right out of the gate. We want to be good. Um, And so we, 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 you know, we kind of hold back because we don't know how to do that because we shouldn't know how to do that. You know, the right. idea is to put something out, out there bad. Um, yeah. And uh, one of my, I have a, I have a Patreon that I, I use to post uh, pretty much all, everything I do, all my art. But one of my favorite things that I like to use it for is I post all of my underlying drawings, the really scribble, scribbly stuff that I wouldn't share uh, anywhere else. And the time lapses of me, like just, you know, trying to figure out how to draw like a hand or even Superman's S or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I love sharing that because I like I like folks to see that, you know, I, you know, even though I'm, you know, I might be um, have a career in comics and I'm, I'm cartoon all day, I'm still making mistakes 24-7. I'm still trying to work through them, mm-hmm. still trying to figure things out. Um, but to me, that's what makes drawing so much fun. It's just yeah. this puzzle that you're trying to solve um and you're just trying to capture what's in your head trying to put it put it out there for other people to see it's never going to come out like you want it um and so it's always a a big kind of like almost this big surprise this present like oh this is this it's not what i wanted uh but there it is and um it's it's just really you know, I'm happy to share it, <laughs> share it with people. Well, I think that, I mean, in that, that, I mean, that, that sense of, um, abandon or a bravado in that sense and not, it's not, it's not a flex, it's the opposite. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an opening up to the, the, the process, the humanist side of your, of your art. And, you know, that's not, and it's not easy and it's certainly not easy. Like, think about it, think about like, what is rewarded and what's not rewarded in general, that's typically not rewarded in the, in the, in the mainstream of, of life. So it's great. And I'm sure that the people who are engaged with that are super excited about it because it, it's a sense of truth and something they can go like, yeah, I can identify with that. Like I, I struggle with the thing I want to do. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, I know I, when I see other artists, you know, struggling with something I also struggle with. I find that um, mm-hmm. validating, <laughs> sure. you know, uh, yeah. it's like, Oh, I'm not the only one, you know, that, that, that has, has trouble figuring that type of thing out. And um, yeah, we all, I think it's, I think it's good to know that everybody's messing up all the time. Yeah. So how did, so that this leads me to the thought of what was it and how did you like, what was it that, made you say, I'm going to go do this thing, whatever it is. And when, and when did you, when did you say, like, I'm going to pursue doing what, I, what you're doing? Like, what were you, were you a teenager? Were you in your twenties? Like, what was it? Because it's, but it, cause it's terrifying to open yourself up to this greater audience, especially on the professional aspect of saying, I want to do this. And knowing the probability of the, you know, like, you're not good enough, kid, is going to come back at you. Like, what is, like, what was it for you? And when was that? Oh, well, it's definitely, I was definitely young. I was probably, I, again, I think, you know, going back to, you know, finding, discovering that, that little, that 
six book trade paperback of, of Bone. So that was probably, you know, really early, like I'm going to say 91, 92. I'm trying to think about when that was around that time where I discovered that is that was it. I mean, I was going to make my own, I was going to self-publish my own comics. I was going to make my own stories. Um, I used to t- tell these little stories and, um, you know, share them with my friends at school you know we'd work together on stories at the in the cafeteria during lunch and i went to art college primarily with the idea that i want to make comics when i'm out of college uh we didn't have sequential art degrees then um i mean i think there was maybe one or two colleges that i had them but i went for an animation degree because i thought Mm -hmm. maybe that would be a good sort of stepping stone into um the sequential world like learning how to you know you know, draw characters in a sequence and create characters and stuff like that and learn life drawing and all that. Um, so I did illustration and animation, but my idea was always I wanted to tell my own stories. Um, I didn't know what those stories were going to be. I knew I, I was always trying, r- making up characters. Um, they were influenced by a lot of different things. One of the first comics I put out was like sort of this very... Um, um, I don't want to say like a like a you know replicant of what Bone was, but it was two characters that got lost in the valley because that's okay. what I I knew. You know, I was like, this is what I, this is. I'm going to do this something kind of similar, um, and it was you know this kind of fantasy type story. Uh, but it really it was just kind of making things up and seeing you know throwing against the wall and seeing what sticks and what people want to go up to the wall and take a better look at uh, and. Once that happened, I just sort of ran with with a lot of the ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Cow and Buffalo was one of the first ones that really stuck with people. It was this influenced more by I think Monty Python <laughs> humor, kind of mixing that, but with like like Charlie Brown and Snoopy, sort of that sort of pathos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was kind of a weird weird mix. Um, but that was like this little strip style comic that I did for about six years. Um, and then in the meet while I was doing that, I wanted to kind of just get better at what I was doing in terms of storytelling and art. Um, and that's where I started drawing a lot more fan art of superheroes. The Batgirl Superworld uh, comics kind of came came out around that time. Okay. Which were essentially Cow and Buffalo comics, just with Batgirl and Supergirl. Right. For, <laughs> they've kind of evolved past that. But at the beginning, it's pretty much what they were. And, um, and then Cleopatra and Space was sort of created in there. And when, and, when, when was that? That was around 2000, gosh, I don't know, 2009, maybe I created okay. the character somewhere around that era, that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started putting that up online. The nice thing about growing up when I did and getting into comics when I did is that we had web comics as an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't like... I want to make comics, but then I have to go seek out a publisher or look up the printing costs. And which at first I thought that would have been a big roadblock for me trying to yeah. figure out all those technical stuff I wouldn't have wanted to do at all. And all that, right. all that sort of that, that aspect, the business kind of technical side of it. Um, but when you could just draw the comic, scan it, put it online, it was really easy to kind of just publish a comic. And then once you had enough there and you felt you had an audience and you could kind of make your your, your little your real your real life books mm-hmm. uh so yeah so once you know once it was just sort of the evolution of coming up with ideas and stories and seeing what worked and cleopatra and space that space i think was one of the first ones that really i mean cow buffalo did well but cleopatra really took on a life of its own outside of 
even what I thought it was going to be. And, um, and that's sort of what kickstarted my, my career was just, there wasn't any one thing. It was just yeah. like a steady, uh, pursuit of wanting to make comics and wanting to come up with ideas. And I went through a lot of different ideas. Um, and that's, you know, I just, these are the ones, the people that, the ones that people know are the ones that just kind of ended up sticking around. Totally. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah. it's the 15 year, 15 year overnight success. You know I mean? That's just, yeah. 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 I mean, I would, yeah, I've been, I think, I think I, I don't, I didn't professionally pursue comics until I was out of college. You know, they were more of just a fun thing that I knew I was going to do. Um, but every, everything I was drawing was working towards that eventual goal that that right. would be my career. I always knew, uh, I think ever since I, ever since my mom threw the Sunday funnies in front of me, I think I was probably five or six years old. I would sit there and I would just copy uh, Calvin Hobbes cartoons, just right. redraw them. Um, yeah. and, and, and in Opus, I loved Opus. So he was so fun to draw with his giant nose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ever since then, that's all I've ever wanted to do was comics ever since I was like five or six years old. And so and there's your connection to bone. Opus yeah, is nose. Yeah, yeah, my gosh, yeah. yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then I'm just really, I feel really blessed. I feel really thankful that I'm able, that I was actually able to happen. I realized my story is not a unique one. I think there's a lot of no, people. No, I mean, I, I think it's... do the same thing and just haven't really found that thing that has stuck against the wall just yet. Right. Uh, but I just, I, I, I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to outdo myself. I'm always trying to, to get better, um, look at what I could be improving on. Um, and then thinking also in terms of what, what needs to be out there? What would pe- make people, you know, what does the world need right now? What, what would make people happy? What would entertain them? Uh, what would entertain me that I don't see yeah. that's out there right now? Uh, that's the big one. That's always a tough one. Yeah. Cause that's a, that's a risk. Um, but yeah, you, but, it, but it, yeah. You, you will do it. That's the thing. Like yeah. you'll do the thing that you want to do over and over again while the thing you think like, cause I mean, if you're like, Oh, I think people want this. You may not be enthusiastic about it. Um, right. Or you may not be able to maintain the enthusiasm for it because I think we can always kind of gin up a bit of enthusiasm on a pro <laughs> on something, you know, like, yeah, this yeah. would be awesome. You well, know? I don't get excited about it. But the thing is about, I mean, comics really, um, no comics really, you're not going to make a lot of money just straight up. You're not going to make a lot. And there's a few right. select where people can make it work, but um, you're not going to make a whole lot of money doing comics. So it makes no sense to go and draw something. Uh, if you don't want to draw it, when you're not even going to make a lot of money doing it anyways, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it just logically draw the thing that you're going to be passionate about what you want to do um, because it's probably not going to make any money anyways. You know, so it's, right. it's one of those things where it's, uh, and, and people are going to respond to that. They're going to know if you're not into the thing that you're drawing. They're going to see it. It's going to come out in your art. It's going to come out in the soul of that drawing. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really just really important that unless you're having fun with it, there's no reason to, to, to pursue it as a career. It's, yeah, it's, I think, I mean, it's, I mean, listen, we all have to eat. So do what you have to do to eat. But the thing is, when it comes to doing the, you know, the things, you know, find the things that make that inspire you because the, that's what's going to translate. Absolutely. Yeah, make sure you're ha- yeah, make sure you're yeah, make sure you're having fun for sure. When you when you so like for you with writing do I mean like you know and, and, uh, the the model is with people who draw and write they 
write by drawing and, yeah. you know, and then script and script around that. And, uh, which is sort of the natural progression. Do you, I mean, do you script now? Like, do you write things out? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I do. It might, my approach varies between like from project to project um, mm-hmm. or story to story, just whatever the story is trying to be. Um, I, when I was doing the Cleopatra in space web comic, uh, I was just kind of drawing it as I went at mm-hmm. first, you know, just kind of making that page by page and just drawing and writing right on the page as I was drawing it. Um, when it came time to do a graphic novel, and I was working with an editor, I was like, "Well, this isn't going to this isn't going to fly. This isn't going to work because uh, the editor needs to know what the story is going to be, totally, uh, so we can take care of any issues before I really get into the nuts and bolts of drawing it." And so I started working off of um, I wouldn't say they'd be traditional style comic scripts. They're almost just the way I would write a script, uh, which okay. is mostly. Um, like it would almost be like a, a playwright without using the actual structure of a playwright, but I would. Yeah. Uh, but it was mostly dialogue. I would write a lot of dialogue, and I would sort of um, kind of plot around how my characters were interacting and where I could create those those beats of action and humor. And it was almost like kind of crafting a song in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, and um, and you know what that rhythm of the story was going to be, and um, and so I got to the point. Where around book three, um, I had these really tight scripts because um, I was really, um, I could visualize it so well in my head when I was writing down the page exactly how it was going to be drawn yeah. that I could easily just write, a, and I would just pretty much almost adhere to those scripts um, for, for the, the whole latter part of the Cleopatra and Space books. Um, but after that, uh, like, just now, uh, for like the, the last Spider-Man book, I wrote a whole script out, um, sort of similar for the, this last Spider-Man book I'm working on. And then as I started drawing, I just kept changing it and, and on the page as I was drawing it. And so I had used the script almost just to sort of this sort of rough idea of what okay. the, the general A to B to C you know, was going to be. Um, and sort of little dialogue points and things like that. And then I would just kind of re- kind of created its own thing in the comic format. And so it really changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm doing it. So it's a very writing a script and then working on the page and using the script, kind of doing, doing a lot of this. Um, it just back and forth, back and forth. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, the next project could be a really tight script. I just adhere to it. The other one could be no script at all. It just depends. I don't really have a method anymore. Well, I, no, yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, no, it makes sense. It's appropriate. It's appropriate. Like, I don't think anything should be like, there shouldn't be some sort of rigorous rule about things, um, except for be cool to one another. Um, <laughs> yes, but like, yeah, each other. yeah so but cool. like, we don't like you, you should be able to like every anything and everything can work or it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. Like whatever gets the project done and the way that makes you say, I am comfortable and happy with sharing this with the world. Then that's, that's the thing. And yes. that that's cool. That's cool. Like let it, let it, let the op, let the model evolve, change, whatever who cares yeah this sort of depends and it's different for me because i'm right i know i'm going to be drawing my own stories so mm-hmm. i don't have to have you know i can i know i can change things in the script you know i can and it doesn't have to be rigid and 
Um, I think it'd be different, you know, if I was writing for another artist, I'd have to be a little bit, you know, more specific. I don't know how that would work. You know, I think if I was ever to write for another artist, I'd want to be very collaborative. Um, right. You know, a lot of back and forth. Um, but I don't know. It just depends. Again, it always depends, I think, on the story and what it needs and how it evolves as, as you approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, my first, the first Spider-Man book stayed pretty close to the script I wrote for it. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, this third one has just kind of evolved into its own fun, you know, wacky thing. So, yeah. And then I'm working on another book simultaneously with these where I'm just, you know, I had a, I almost wrote like a novel <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I wrote it out as a as sort of like this, this sort of novella kind of story uh-huh. and then try to work out a, a, a comment around that. And it's just, a, again, a lot of back and forth going, you know, so like a treat, like a heavy treatment. And then you, then you convert that into story. Yeah. 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 Well, so, okay. A couple of things from that. One is your editor must be a saint for you <laughs> completely changing, you know, the, the, the actual submitted script. So that's pretty impressive um, to have so much, so much evolution. We'll call it, we'll make it a polite term, call it evolution uh, in the midst of the, of the actual art uh, process. Um, was that a, cha- was that a challenging first phone call with like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think having, you know, at least in terms of the Spider-Man books, how, Close and how, we we created a really pretty good working relationship between mm-hmm. that one. So I knew sort of what she was expecting from me and what you know I you know you know what I was how I was going to approach you know kind of the story and right. Um, so the second book was sort of this in between where I, I came up with this this crazy idea in the middle of the story and um, I'm going to change things okay and I think there was just this confidence, like, look, if you think it's, you know, going to work, um, you know, try it out, see it, see, see how it is. And if it doesn't, we'll tell you, you know, yeah. Yeah. So there were, there was always that sort of fear that, um, you know, they could come back and, and, mm-hmm. and go, look, no, this is why, why, why did you change this so, so completely? Um, but in the back of my head, I, I can hear her voice telling me things as I'm changing things too. Right. Like, you know, I can go, yeah, you know, I can see where she's, where she's going to go, where she'd want me to be able to go here. Um, or things I, I can already see myself fighting on later. Yeah. <laughs> Is this worth it? Mm. Yeah. Always, it happens in every book, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it helps to have... I don't think any I don't think any creator could work with an editor that they can't trust and vice versa. You know, you, yeah, have, just, you have to have of, that working relationship where there's a reason you guys are working together. And yeah. so you can't trust your editor's input on something and they can't trust your creativity on something. I don't think it's going to work. And I've just been very fortunate to have editors. Um, I've had three editors now and they've all just had different approaches, mm-hmm. uh, different ways of of, of, of relaying feedback and I'm just growing with each one, you know, I'm just learning and learning from each one. Well, a lot, there's a lot of publishing, you know, uh, you know, houses and editorial, they have to answer to people in the process as well. (laughs) And so a lot of houses, will they demand that full tight script and that's, what's going to get, go up the food chain and get approved. And when it's approved, we're in. You know, and yes. so yeah. making those changes becomes problematic on a structural level 
internally, not on the page. <laughs> yeah, and it is, I mean, there is a little bit of that, especially with uh, Spider-Man being a Marvel book. Um, there are certain, you know, things we have to adhere to in terms of like Marvel and what you can and cannot do. And, you know, but yeah, you you can, the, the nice thing is when I do my, when I start working on my, my rough draft, the actual, you know, illustrative mm-hmm draft of the book you know not the script um my roughs are pretty tight they're pretty much my my, my really rough pencils and so yeah. you can read the whole book easily understand everything about it um but it's drawn quickly and fast enough that if i have to make changes it's not that big a deal you know cool. it's it's very easy for me to go back because i'm not i haven't got before i go in and really fine-tuning it um you know it's and I think it's important to work that way too. To me, yeah, yeah, I love that. You have to have, be able to. <laughs> you can't. You can't become too married, especially when with working with a publisher. You just. You really can't um, become too married to the work that you're doing because yeah, things will have to change. Um, but I found just in the what ten years I've been doing this, um, things. You know, ninety nine percent of the time, ninety nine percent to change for the better. You know, they're yeah, really yeah. you sit there, you sit in that. They might even give you a suggestion. You go, no, no, I will not change that. And then you sit there and you come up with an even better idea. You know, so yeah, um, yeah I don't know. I, I've I've probably just been lucky, honestly. Yeah, well, <laughs> well I mean, or, or maybe you're actually really good to work with. You know, that could be another <laughs> thing. You know, um, and the other so the other thing, and you sort of touched on it, but I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna bring it back is you know you know, you're, you're drawing all these things that you're, you're writing. I absolutely recommend you writing for somebody else if you can. Oh, I, I mean, if, um, thanks. That's really nice to hear. Uh, yeah. I would love to, I think that'd be a really, it'd be a fun, I would look at it as a fun challenge is how I would sort of look at it. Something, if I came up with a story and I go, I love this story. I, not in my style. <laughs> I wouldn't want to draw it. And then who would be a good collaborator for that story? Um, right. But thanks. I think so. And then, yeah, I'd love, I mean, I'd love somebody to come and ask me to do a Supergirl or a Batgirl, <laughs> even sure. a short story. I would write one even if I didn't have time to draw one. But, it's, yeah. I, you know, the thing is, is that it, it is a... Um, <clears throat> The magic happens when you envision the story in your head and you have to tell this story to somebody else who is then going to tell that story to everybody. Yeah. And as a writer, that job becomes far more critical in that what you're putting on that page as, you know, in the word form becomes so much more critical and you, you begin to really envision the story in a different way when you are trying to communicate that to somebody else, not just yourself or an editor. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that too, because it is, it's creating, yeah, it's, it's making you think differently, mm-hmm. <laughs> making right. you create differently. Um, and all of that just adds to better you know, future storytelling. And yeah, it makes you better doing the thing yeah. for yourself eventually. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a selfish act. And I and I and I approve that selfish act. <laughs> yeah, we're all artists. We're all you know innately selfish in some ways. We just totally. want to we just want to put our ideas and have people see them. Yeah, yeah me, me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so what's going on? What can people see of yours? Uh, and uh, 
I'll point everybody in the direction of where to find you. That'll be in all the details below, but give it all away now. Oh, um, well, I, I think I've kind of touched on a lot of it already. Yeah. I am working on it. There's, you know, the first Spider-Man book only recently came out, like in June. Um, that's one thing I don't have on my desk is my own books. <laughs> own, own stuff, <laughs> Everybody right? else's books, I, I, I constantly flip through for inspiration. But Of course. I am. Um, yeah, the, I have a, uh, it's called Animals Assemble, and that was out, it came out in uh, June, so that's out right now. Um, I have a second book that's already finished up, and that will be out uh, at the beginning of January. Uh, so that's Spider-Man will be uh, uh, hopping his way through the quantum realm and cool. teaming up with a, a bunch of different Marvel heroes. And then I'm working on a third one where it's Spider-Man in space, and uh, <laughs> I... I Guess I really—I mean, you probably guess who the hey, man. team it's going to be for that one. Without yeah, that. sure, that's pretty obvious. But that's uh, that one will be out um, next, you know, next year, following June. So that's, oh, that's what great. Hopefully, we'll have that one finished. And um, I've got a tight schedule for that one, so I'm really hammering, hammering down, trying to get that one done in the next couple months. How long um, are these books? They're about eighty pages each. Okay, cool. So they're great for. For young readers, um, similar to uh, like with the Cleopatra and Space books, they they age up a little bit each one, just mm-hmm. not in terms of not in terms of what's actually happening, but just in terms of like the uh, the vocabulary and the dialogue um, and stuff. So like you know, I try to each each. I think if you can get through, you know, the first one, then you're, you're, you're going to kind of level up your reading a little bit with book two and then again for book three. And I, I like that idea of, of readers realize, like, especially young readers getting through a book and go, look at this. I read this. I, yeah. I, I completed this book. And then the parents are like, you read what word, you know? Cause, uh, I, not in terms of like, it's a bad word, but it's <laughs> like, you know, like probably like an eight syllable word or something. And that's how I learned a lot of, um, vocabulary growing up was just from the um, juxtaposition of words and pictures, and yeah. I didn't know exactly what that word meant, but I could figure it out based yeah. on the context clues uh, that were right there on the page for me. And I love doing that in comics. That's just I think that marriage of the two those two things is just so fun. Um, so yeah, I'll have that. And then I have a um, I'm working on this uh, giant uh, kind of 300 page opus of a of a graphic novel. It's uh, it's we were talking about. Drawing the thing you're passionate of, even if yeah. maybe um, it's not the you know not not what people are really looking for right now. But mm-hmm. um, I'm a huge you know I, I grew up in like I said in the '80s, and I grew up on things like Indiana Jones and Goonies and these treasure hunting sort of adventure stories, and even um, like Ghibli with like Castle in the Sky stuff like that and i really want to do a story um that wasn't those but had that similar the thing that really um really gravitated towards me what made it so fun to go on these adventures and try to find something that might exist but could not you know and that's what i'm working on now i'll probably spend about a year trying to i have the whole thing almost completely penciled um so it's just a matter of there and um, you know, polishing it up, really nice. drawing yeah. it, coloring it. Um, yeah, but I'm really, I'm really excited about it. Um, and I hope that it's that shows enough <laughs> through the through the story that other people get excited about it too. Do you have a publisher for that one already? 
Yes. So that okay. one will be through a publisher named Candlewick. And cool. uh, yeah, so they, and they, they've been great. They were gracious enough to let me pause on it a little bit so I could work on these Spider-Man books. Um, so I'm also very eager to give them an amazing book because oh, they've been so patient and kind <laughs> with me as I've been working on these, these other things. For me, the more graphic novels we can get out there, the better. I just think having con- you know, contained stories that people can pick up and read and really fall in love with, the better, because it's just only going to make the market for that so much stronger in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oh, and <clears throat> it Possible Adventures here in Florida, rumor yeah. is there's a fountain of youth somewhere down there. So maybe you can go strap on your hat and go find it. Yes. Yes. Me, my, uh, one of the things I love to do, I have two boys. Um, and, uh, the oldest, we like to do this thing called geocaching. Not, not now, not when it's 150 degrees outside geocaching. Uh, yeah, where you, it's the little, little treasure hunts, you know, that you find, you know, that people there, you know, there's people that hide these little, containers full of mm-hmm. maybe like stickers or cars or whatever and uh and we love these these little little treasure hunt excursions called geocaching and that was one of the inspirations uh for the story that, uh, oh, that's that cool yeah yeah i think i probably would have been all over that as a kid if that was a thing yeah um yeah I'm all over it as an adult i think it's just the, it's like the funnest thing <laughs> yeah no it's 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 that sounds very yeah no i think it's i mean to me it sounds fascinating but um, I heard the rumor is you have to find a a mythical manatee and ride a mythical manatee to the uh, to the fountain of right. youth. Yeah, I think yeah, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Hey, you want to hear the worst the worst joke since we've brought up the subject of manatees? Um, <laughs> and there's a coworker who who one day he just like in the middle of the office goes, "Hey, I've got an idea for a new comic book character. He's." Man who was bitten by a radioactive manatee. He's half manatee, half human, and he's called the humanity. <laughs> and people, when they see him, they yell, Oh, the humanity. <laughs> Why is that that for the thing? I feel like that should already be a thing. Why is it not a like, thing? It's like a throwaway like character and like you know, like the Harley Quinn cartoon or something. Like I guess I'm surprised that nobody's done that yet. It works on every level. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So oh, I, if you didn't tell me that joke, I would have I'd steal it right now. Mm, so, I tell so, you. It's a good one. Listen, good. I stole it from somebody else. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I thank you, Ken. Um so, yeah, it's 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 a classic. I've I've been retelling that joke for almost 20 years now, so it's pretty good. Oh, and I see I haven't even heard it, so it's still fresh. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I mean, you, you don't you didn't work in graphic design companies in New York City through the 2000s. <laughs> so um well man, this has absolutely been a pleasure. Uh, I'm super excited to have spent this time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This was yeah. this was a yeah. yeah, no, it was great, and super, super uh, thankful for your 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 openness on all the uh, the the process and the struggle that happens to be creating stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. So, yeah. all right, cool. And are you doing any cons for the rest of the year, or is this are you? Um, I'm going to be at uh, Bedrock City. Uh, it's, a, it's a collection of comic shops in, in the Houston area. Cool. Um, I'll be there at the beginning of um, October. Um, Actually, it's on my list of things to confirm. It's just like if it's an actual comic convention type event um, or if it's more of a signing. Um, I think it's both. So anyways, I'll be in Houston. Uh, I'll also be in Chattanooga a couple weeks later. 
uh, for a Chattanooga comic convention. Oh, wow. When is, um, wait, when is that? That is in the middle of October. I want to say dates, but I'll probably mess them up. I don't. I usually, I'm only about three days ahead of myself in any given day. Sure. <laughs> Without Apple Calendar, I, I wouldn't know what's going on. Um, but it's like the third weekend, I think, of, of October. Um, I think it's the weekend after New York City Comic Con. Um, oh, kind of close. I might be there too, but if I if I'm there, I'll just be doing some signings and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Well, um, good luck with Spider Man, and good luck with your your adventure story. I can't wait to I can't wait to read them. Um, yeah, Mike. Um, have a good uh, I guess rest of your afternoon. All right. You too. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. <laughs>